Hello, everybody, and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I am your Tuesday host, Charles Curtis, and we've got a bunch of sports stuff going on right now. There is so much going on. Even after the Stanley Cup Finals have ended, even after the NBA Finals have ended, there's so much going on, and that's why I had to bring on Nick Schwartz, uh, our resident For the Win does everything. I can I can I say that about you? you're like our you, you do everything. You cover everything, right? I try to do everything. Yeah, Nick, so how how are you? Uh I'm pretty good, Charles. Happy to be here and you're right. It's a huge sports week. Uh of course the World Cup starts this week. Uh we've got the World Series of Poker kind of on the back burner going on in Vegas. Uh and of course the 2018 US Open starts Thursday. Yeah, yeah, I want to cover all of that because uh, I, I forget that you and I are both poker guys, and we've noticed that people like clicking on poker on the site. So yeah, we, we probably should talk about that briefly. Um, let's get into the U.S. Open since that'll be starting uh, in a couple of days. Uh, you and I just literally pub- hit publish on a, a betting post. Uh, who do you like? Who, who's your favorite right now? Uh, well, I think after what we saw this past weekend, Dustin Johnson is going to be the guy to beat. I mean, he is the betting favorite. Uh, and he just looked like he, he looked to be in phenomenal form uh, this past weekend at the uh, the FedEx St. Jude Classic in Memphis. Um, I don't know if that's usually his his uh, standard preparation to play the week before, but you know he he looked great. He won by six strokes. Uh, he's the type of guy who is always going to be uh, a contender at U.S. Opens with the way that he drives the ball. Uh, and of course, he he just won two years ago. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that the guy. I mean, he hits the ball a mile, right? And automatically, that puts him in front of a lot of people. But what I saw this past weekend, I think, is is the mistakes are down, right? Like if he doesn't miss and he's hitting the ball a huge distance, the the guy's unstoppable. And in our our odds post, I was looking over some of the the, the longer drivers like Tony Finau, and and I picked Gary Woodland as a big sleeper at, at uh, one fifty to one. And I keep thinking to myself, like. Is this a tournament the drivers win, or is this like a tournament that is more for like the ball strikers who maybe they 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 don't miss that often, so they don't get into trouble? And you know, even though they're they're sort of taking out other clubs, maybe they have it better when you know if a guy like Woodland hits it into the 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 tall stuff, like he gets in trouble. What's your feeling on that? Well, from what I've been reading about Shinnecock, uh, of course, this hosted the U.S. Open. Uh, what I guess. 14 years ago in 2004 uh, and since then they've changed the course a bunch there's 10 different tees than there was the last time around it's 500 yards longer but it's not quite as long as it was say at Aaron Hills Um, but what they did do recently is they widened the fairways quite a bit uh, and then I think they they reversed that decision somewhat and they they uh, made them just a bit a bit narrower but they're still wider than normal uh, I think I read there was an average width of 41 yards uh, in the fairway. And Bubba Watson's caddy tweeted recently that he thinks uh, long hitters are going to have a, a clear advantage and one of them is going to win the tournament. Hmm. So I, I think for this particular U.S. Open, the, the short guys who are always in the middle of the fairway, they might not have as much of an advantage as they typically would at a U.S. Open. That's really interesting and, and, and well thought out. And I also... It's funny, last year, given that we saw like a, a much calmer, gentler U.S. Open, I want to say, I'm kind of bummed about that. Like, I don't want them to have wider fairways. And I'll pose a question to you that I've posed now to Sergio Garcia, and I think I talked to Justin Johnson a little bit and Tony Finau in various interviews that I've done uh, in, in recent weeks. 
do you want your U.S. Open to be the toughest test ever with, like, tall uh, roughs and thin fairways and, and ridiculously fast greens? Or, or do you want it to be still a test but, like, a little bit on the lighter side? Uh, well, I'm glad to be in, in, the, in the company of Sergio and Tony Finau. But, <laughs> you know, I think there's a balancing act there. I mean, uh, in the previous U.S. Opens at Shinnecock, I think the lowest anyone has ever gone was Retief Goosen. He won the last one at four under. Um, you want? I think you always are going to want the U.S. Open to be the toughest test of the year. But at the same time, you don't want the winning score to be like five over par. I'm, I'm not sure that mm. casual fans are going to want to watch all weekend if these guys are struggling just to make par. Uh, I think golf purists would love that. But at a certain point, you do want scoring conditions to, to at least be there for guys who are playing really well. Um, it's no fun if, if say, Tiger is, is five shots behind the leader this weekend and he doesn't really have a chance to make that up because there's just nowhere he can make birdie, you know? Oh, see, like, I, I kind of land on, like, <laughs> watching golfers suffer <laughs> where they're just like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do with this, where, where they're, 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 you know, like you see their body language just be like, what the heck is this, right? Uh, much worse language than I can use on the podcast. Uh, I just, I, I don't know what it is. There's something really fun about that and rare too because you don't see that in other tournaments necessarily. And I, I don't know. I, I'm as a golf fan, I like, I like to see some differences, right? And and I think, look, I'm saying all this, and I think this U.S. Open will actually be approximately where you're talking about, given the fact that wider fairways. But that said, I posted a video today that was uh, a golf coach was there on Monday, and he dropped a ball right in the sort of the middle of, of the 18th green. And it just rolled for, I, I want to say, like yards, many, many yards off the green, and then some downhill. And I'm thinking like, ooh, that's going to be crazy. So, I, yeah, I, maybe it'll be a combination of both, and we'll get like a, a three-under winner, which wouldn't be the, the worst thing. Yeah, and the interesting thing about Shinnecock, I mean, it's right there on Long Island. There's almost definitely going to be some wind. Mm -hmm. And the way that the holes are situated on the course, they're not kind of all running in the same direction uh, in the outward nine and then running in the same direction back way, back in. So, uh, you know, the players are going to have to deal with winds at different, uh, coming from different directions all over the course. Um, but, yeah, just to go back, I, I think I'd want the U.S. Open, I, I, I don't want the winner of the U.S. Open to be, the guy who didn't lose it, you know mm -hmm, what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's fine, I, and I think that won't happen. And and it seems to me, and, and Sergio Garcia told me yesterday that, that he felt like the USGA had sort of settled into a middle ground where it's like, yeah, it's a challenge, but they've lightened up a little bit. I think that's what he was trying to say. I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. Um, uh, any other sleepers? You know, I talked about Gary Woodland, who I picked. I I, I liked your sleeper pick in, in today's post. Yeah, well, uh, just kind of looking around at, at who all the other experts are picking. Uh, you know, I've seen Webb Simpson mm -hmm. picked as a, as a sleeper. He dominated the players, of course. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama, who has always been really good, but not good enough to win a big tournament. Uh, you know, I picked uh, Brandon Grace, who has, has two, I believe, top fives or top tens out of the last three U.S. Opens. But it's it's really anyone's game, I think. Once once you once you're in the pressure cooker of the U.S. Open on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I have shied away from Matsuyama because he's burned me too many times. I believe I've picked him in the how many two and a half years that I've been at you at, uh, at for the win. I've picked him, I think, for two major wins, 
and he's burned me both times. And it's like fantasy kryptonite where I'm just like, I can't. I can't pick him. Even though he looks good, he's always, like, there. He's always, you know, he always makes cuts in these things. Like, I can't. Um, but, yes, I, I think that that would be a fine pick. Um, you, you talked about the, the World Cup starting. How how pumped are you? Are you are you a big World Cup soccer? I know you've written about soccer for us, obviously, but how do you feel about this year's? Uh, I guess I'm medium pumped. Uh, it, it obviously would be a whole lot more exciting. Well, actually, I, I was about to say it would be more exciting if the United States would play. However, would it really be exciting to see us eliminated from the group stage again? I mean, yeah. Is it better if we're there and go home early, or is it better if we're just not there at all? I think uh, it's it's probably better for us to be there in general, just to sort of keep up the the rabid fandom. Even though I don't think it'll go away necessarily, but just seeing like what do they call them? Um, is it it's it's not Washington's army, right? It's is that or is that what it is? What's the name of the fan group? The uh, yeah, whatever they. This can- is how big soccer is in America. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, uh, but the, whatever they call the the fan army that is the, the 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 soccer fans going overseas and sort of seeing them in the fans stands like ah, I still want to see that I still you know and even if they do get uh, eliminated like uh, I I I would rather see them there. just them being out though I think also helps the future of U.S. soccer because it was sort of the alarm bells going off saying like we can't miss another World Cup we have to solve this right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously nothing would change if, if the status quo is held. So at least now, you know, we're going to make changes. We just, you know, Ernie uh, Stewart is the new uh, GM of, of USA Soccer. We'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, first game on Thursday, I believe it's 8 a.m. Uh, Russia against uh, Saudi Arabia. Ah, there we go. Uh, who do you like? Who do you do you have a, a, a team that you think wins wins it all? Uh, I think it's it's probably just going to be the usual suspects. Uh, Germany looks really good again. Uh, of course, they won in 2014. Uh, Brazil looks great uh, if Neymar can carry them. Uh, lots of people are picking France. I think judging uh, France displayed the United States in a friendly last week. Uh, they didn't look great. I mean, they certainly weren't dominating the United States. That's a friendly, obviously, to, to take that with a grain of salt. But uh, they're a bit younger, so who knows how that's going to play out. Uh, and Spain is a bit of an older team, but a lot of people are picking Spain to, to make a deep run. Yeah, and I want Argentina or Portugal simply because uh, as a casual, I wouldn't even call myself a casual soccer fan. I, I would call myself the guy who turns on the World Cup and watches it every four years uh, and vaguely keeps you know, occasionally I'll, I'll check in on the kind of the big names. So, yeah, obviously I want Messi or Ronaldo to be there, but it doesn't seem like a lot of people are picking them, right? No, I, I think Argentina is a, is a weaker team than the one uh, Messi led four years ago. And Portugal is basically the 2018 Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> um, so I, I doubt those guys will, will make a semifinal. But, you know, they, they, could, they could have interesting matchups against you know, big favorites in the quarterfinal or something like that. Uh, it was Sam's Army, by the way, was the name of the supporters group that was, I, I, th- I think they, they, they're they gone now. But yeah, that was the name of the, the United States supporters group. I wanted to run a take by you, actually, that I'm going to write later this week. Actually, I know I did some Google research and I found out that one of our former, or actually still a colleague now, Chris Chase, had written, which I agree with. And I hadn't even seen it before I was, I was pitching this to our editor, Nina, which is I think the World Cup trophy is the worst. And I think it's just like, you know, given what we've seen with the Stanley Cup being 
carried around perpetually by Alex Ovechkin. Uh, and like gold medals are so cool. And then like the World Cup, which should be the biggest trophy of them all, you know, every four years. Uh, you know, it's the World Cup. We're talking about the best team in the world, in the in the, the most popular sport in the world. And it's this dinky little thing. Uh, do you agree with me? Worst trophy in sports? Um, I think that's a valid opinion that I wouldn't agree with. I, I think that, you know, the thing that the World Cup uh, trophy has going for it, even if it is kind of weird looking, uh, it's very distinctive, right? Mm-hmm. It, it could just be sort of boring, like this big, huge trophy that that's so, like the Champions League trophy. Even even that's a little distinctive. But uh, you know, you look at like Wimbledon uh, tennis tournaments that just give out like big metal plates or something. You know what I mean? It, at least when you see the World Cup trophy, you know that's the World Cup trophy. That's fair, and I actually um, uh, I, I will take that argument. I, I will probably end up maybe doing this later this week. We'll see if I have some time to do you know best worst trophies in sports, but. Uh, I looked at it closer when I did a post, I think, last year about the, the like the 10 things you can't unsee, like secret little things. And when you look intricately at the World Cup trophy close up, it's artistically kind of beautiful. So it's just the size thing to me, really, that if you've got like the I think that what the Premier League trophy is enormous and like the trophy for NASCAR's winners is kind of big. And you got like the Stanley Cup, which you can carry above your head. It's like 35 pounds. I like I want that. that that's all I kind of want. We'll agree to disagree. All right. Yeah. Let's take a quick break before we go on. Speaking of the – you just mentioned the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cavaliers, we're going to get to them in a second. But we need to hear for a word from our sponsor here. So this episode of For the Win is brought to you by Full Sail University's Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting. Legendary sportscaster Dan Patrick, you know him from the Dan Patrick Show, Sunday Night Football, the Olympics, and Sports Center, has teamed up with Full Sail University to offer an accelerated bachelor's degree in sportscasting. Full Sail University combines hands-on learning, immersive projects, and faculty with real-world experience to prepare students for life in the media industry. And for the Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting, they've brought in some of sports media's best to be a part of this program. Longtime ESPN producer and multi-Emmy winner Gus Ramsey is heading up the program, and sportscasting pros such as Sage Steele, Jay Harris, Bill Simmons, and many more are involved. Students will learn sportscasting inside and out, on camera, behind the camera, podcasting, radio, interviewing, and everything in between. At Full Sail University's Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting, you can earn a bachelor's degree in about half the time, as short as 20 months. And you can choose to earn your degree online or on Full Sail's campus in Orlando, Florida. To learn more about Full Sail University's Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting, go to fullsail.edu slash FTW. All right, Nick. Now we got to talk about LeBron. This, is a, this, I think, is an easy answer here. Where is LeBron James going in, oh, let's say about a month? You think it's an easy answer? That's interesting. I do. I, I'm pretty convinced of it. Better seem to be too, but we, you know, this, look, I don't know where he's going, but it, it, it all seems to be pointing to me in one direction. Where, like, where do you think he's going? Well, uh, I think what is clear is that he isn't staying. No. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he really can afford to stay. Because the Cavs aren't going to change that much from the ones that just got swept. So what's really the point in staying? Um, I think the, the best option would be if they can figure out a way to make the money work in Houston and he can go play for the Rockets, that would be what I would choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Lakers are interesting, but I don't think the Lakers are good enough for him to really uh, invest the rest of his career in, in that option yet. Yeah, I, so the Rockets, right, are like the ideal option. I, I wrote a, a thing today where I, I broke down kind of the factors in LeBron's 
at least in my mind, the, the factors in him going to a team, right? He's factoring in where will he best win a ring? Where will he cement his legacy? Where will it be best for his family? Where will it be fun for him maybe uh and also like if he wants to set the nba on fire he can just go to the golden state warriors and we're all just going to bemoan that for years um but yeah i think the best shot at a ring is is houston if that's what he wants great i just read a report i want to say a couple hours ago about you know he had said to a a reporter or it's a reporter heard him say he does not like houston as a city so that's, you know, that factors in the family thing. If he wants what's good for his family, I, I feel like it's staying, right? Like if his kids are, are in school and all that. But they are older. And we know Bronny, the older one, LeBron James Jr., right? Um, you know, he's maybe got an NBA career ahead of him. So I kind of think that L.A. is the, the right option because his family, you know, they have two homes there. Family might be comfortable. Um, if the kids are like, yeah, we're in, we'll go uh, there, and, and Bronny can resume, you know, playing in, in L.A., um, that doesn't seem like too crazy of a thing. And then, yeah, the only factor is playing on that Lakers team that has not the best lineup, but imagine if he says to Paul George, let's go do it, like come back to your, your home state and let's let's win one together. Uh, that's a team that I think could, could uh, contend. Uh, I think what's interesting about the, the LeBron decision uh, narrative and debate is that, uh, you know, both you and myself, we're people who kind of see what talking heads say on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And recently I've seen a lot of people arguing uh, against LeBron going to certain cities based on what it could potentially do to the already existing lineup. Like people will say LeBron shouldn't go to the Sixers because the Sixers shouldn't take the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands. Mm-hmm. Basically, LeBron ruins Ben Simmons. Or LeBron shouldn't go to the Lakers because the Lakers are going to have to get rid of Kyle Kuzma or, or whatever. Um, there are all these reasons that people don't want LeBron to go anywhere, it seems. Uh, but the thing is, that, you know, if, if, we, if we've learned anything this year, is that uh, there's no one better than LeBron. And if he wants to come to your city, you're going to do whatever you have to do. <laughs> right. So to add them to your team, I, I don't think any of these teams are going to say, "Oh no, we'll stick with with Ben Simmons." Like we don't want you, to LeBron. Right, right. That's what I, I wrote. Uh, funny enough, today, which I said was that if if LeBron wants a challenge, if that's one of his factors, like he, you know, he's maybe he's bored or something. I don't know. I doubt it. But if there's some kind of like, "Oh, I've never done that factor," then the Sixers are it, right? Because then he could say to himself, with his genius basketball mind, like. Here's what I do with Ben Simmons, and here's what I'll do with ball handling, and you know I'll set up Joel Embiid to do all of his, that, that stuff, and you know we'll make uh, you know maybe I'll play the four while Robert Covington plays uh, uh, small forward, and so on and so forth. Like I just think like for a, a basketball savant, that's that's kind of a fun pick. But I'm with you also, I, and that's what I said, right? Like you shoot first and ask questions later with him. You say we'll take LeBron, we have to take LeBron, and we'll make it work somehow. So I think that's a very 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 valid point. Um, the sleeper team to me is, uh, I don't know, I, I, I can't, I think like there's a scenario where like he goes to the Clippers and brings the Banana Boat crew with him, possibly, um, sans Dwayne Wade maybe because he's comfortable in Miami, but uh, I think also the idea of like Chris Paul maybe linking up with him wherever he goes is kind of fun too. Yeah, I think the thing that, that we're going to look back on in 10 years and wonder uh, and make jokes about is... Uh, the New York Knicks now are going to be missing out on the third LeBron sweepstakes. Uh, and they've been irrelevant for pretty much his entire career. Uh, I mean, just imagine what the NBA could look like if the Knicks were, you know, competent 
and you could have you know LeBron in New York against whoever comes out of the West. Uh, That'd be fascinating. However, it's obviously never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And you're touching on something very sensitive to me. Um, I spent about I would say 20 minutes in writing my thing. As I was walking home from dropping off my kid at daycare today, I was like, if he wants his legacy to be, if LeBron wants to cement his legacy, he should come to the Knicks. And I say that as a Knicks fan, but it makes the most sense to me because if if LeBron is seen as like a ring hunter, which I think in today's NBA is, is ridiculous because look, look at what the Golden State Warriors are doing with Durant. Uh, that's just the nature of the beast. That's that's the NBA today. If you want a ring, you can link up with other players and and form a team and do it. And that's just the way that, that things are run now. Um, but the Knicks, to me, like right, like the the narrative of LeBron saves New York from its basketball demons would just be the greatest third chapter to anybody's career, uh, especially LeBron's career, right? Because just imagine him coming to the Knicks and uh, you know picking them up by their bootstraps and saying, "I'll take you to the promised land." I, it's it's not going to happen. Partially because they paid Tim Hardaway a ton of money that they shouldn't have paid him <laughs> and and partially because Porzingis is out and partially because who knows what LeBron feels about ownership and so on down the line I just there's no way it's happening it's, I was looking at a list of odds today and, and saying why are the Knicks even that high it just it doesn't make any sense but I'm with you that the Knicks could have factored in somehow but they I think they almost felt like they knew he wouldn't come and that's why they said alright well we'll pay Tim Hardaway all this money we'll make this move and that move because they just kind of knew it's not happening yeah that whole Phil Jackson uh, experiment might have been the, uh, the nail on the coffin just for laying the groundwork for this to never happen but uh, it is a shame for Knicks fans maybe uh, in 20 years or so you'll be good yeah. oh god oh god oh god alright we'll finish up with a quick question World Series of Poker are you uh, have you been following or are you what are you looking forward to in, in particular uh, well, I've been trying to keep up with the highlights. It seems like, uh, you know, none of the big events have really gone on yet. We saw that that incredible, iconic moment where uh, the guy was at a, a final table, uh, down to two players. He thought he had won a million dollars after the uh, flop hit the table. I started dancing around like a fool, <laughs> doing like Fortnite dances or something. And then the river hits and he lost. He lost 60 million chips. Uh, went on to lose the tournament. I think he still won like $500,000, so you know, not a bad consolation prize. Uh, that seems like the highlight of the World Series so far. But interestingly enough, I read that uh, Phil Ivey, uh, in that same event that that guy lost after celebrating, uh, had his first World Series cash in years. So he's back. He's in Vegas and playing. You know, Hopefully he'll make a deep run in the, in the main events and, and he can bring another poker boom. Yeah, especially now that we've got legal betting in the United States. And, and uh, yeah, I'm with you about, like, big names. Like, I know that the the story ends up being with the World Series, the main event winner and his or her crazy backstory. Like, you know, the guy was an online poker player for you. You know, it's it's the, uh, the Chris Moneymaker story, 3.0, 4.0, whatever it is. But I would, I'm with you. I'd like to see Phil Ivey and Daniel Negreanu and all these, these big names take home that bracelet because it's just it's good for the game um those, those folks are the most fascinating i'm i'm personally going to follow along with maria konnikova who I, I interviewed a few weeks ago who is the new yorker writer who is writing a book about poker and uh her sort of journey to learn about the psychology of it and she's turned out to be great at poker which is just such a crazy story she won a, a major tournament a few weeks ago 
uh, and then finished second in another one. And she's now down in Vegas, uh, and she's beginning her her run there. I just saw a tweet from her saying day two of the marathon. So that'll be the one I'm I'm following. That's my underdog story. Uh, although who knows how much of an underdog she is, given that she's won a, a, a tournament already. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree with you. I think you know it's the NBA. Don't understand anything. People like dynasties. Uh, so guys like Daniel Lagaranu, Phil Ivey, you know. At this point, we've already had the moneymaker story. You know, we need to see those guys back in the in the fray. Uh, I don't think anybody really wants to, wants to watch a, a final table that's, you know, ten guys you've never heard of before. Totally agree with you, Nick. Where where can we find your stuff on Twitter? Ah, uh, you can find me at uh, Nick underscore Schwartz. Thank you, Nick underscore Schwartz. Uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, everybody, thanks for listening.